Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. How many believe the world is really in a very uh, tumultuous place right now? There's just a lot of instability. And it's time for us to pray and it's time for us to understand. It talks about the men of Issachar understood the times. They were wise people. And can I uh, share that today? What I'm going to share with you is to help us uh, understand the times that we're living in so that we can be effective. You know, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is the centre of everything. You know, religion uh, matters little. It's just man's attempt to reach God, but God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to be our Saviour. He sent Jesus to be everything. And when we keep our eyes on Him, it's amazing how He leads us and He guides us and He nurtures us and He does miracles for us. Jesus is everything. All of history will uh, finish uh, with what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Jesus comes into permanent uh, uh, physical kind of uh, permanence with the church and it's going to be an incredible, incredible day. Jesus is everything. You know, as I've watched COVID, uh, you know, kind of rampage its way through America and, and Australia uh, and the different parts of the world, it's, what's really interesting coming out the other side now is that in America, about 30 to 60% of people that were going to church in 2019 are now back at church. That means there's at least 40% of people that used to go to church just three years ago that are no longer going to church anywhere. Maybe they're online, but they certainly aren't in the, uh, in the churches all over America. In Australia, it's probably about 75 to 80%. In other words, 20 to 25% of people that were coming to church uh, across 2019 are no longer. And, and the question is why? What was it about the pandemic that stopped people coming to church? What took place? Was it just a realisation, I don't need to go to church, I can do it online? Uh, you know, what, what are the reasons? And, it, and, and is there a place for the church? You know, really, should we be going to church or should we just watch messages online? Uh, should we just be doing things remotely and, and taking the options that so many people seem to have taken while others have just stopped coming at all? These questions are, are momentous questions because they go right to the root of why we do what we do. And I wanna talk to you about my own uh, journey, my own experiments, my own uh, uh, delving deeply into God's Word and the revelation that God's shared with me. Now, I remember last year, I, uh, you know, the only safe place you could be was on a golf course, so I made sure I was there often and, uh, and I could take the mask off and, and I was playing a lot of golf and uh, I hurt my back and I ended up with three herniated discs uh, from golf and, and, the, and the problem with it was that I couldn't sit down. I could lie down, I could stand up, but I couldn't sit. Well, that made coming to church difficult because when you're the pastor and you're standing up while everyone else is seated, you know, you kind of look like the guy that should be thrown out. And if you're standing at the back, everyone's asking you, are you okay? Why are you standing at the back? And you know, you just don't have that many hours of the day to explain to every single person why you're not sitting on the front row where you normally sit. So I decided to take some long service leave and lie on my back 
for a couple of months to see if I, as I was owed lots of long service leave. So I did that. What I thought I'd do is, you know, I don't have to waste any of these times. So I thought I'm going to do an experiment. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to go to church online. Welcome to everybody online, by the way. It's great to have you with us. Uh, and I decided to go online. Now I've named being online. Online is a very important part of church life, particularly if you're sick or if you're travelling. It allows us now to be connected no matter what. And so I wanted to see what was the what was the reason to actually get together? I mean, it's so attractive to be in your PJs, watching television, watching church and so on. And, and so I thought, well, I'm gonna try that. I can't sit down anyway, so I'll lie down and I'll watch uh, the screen. And the first week, I'll just tell you my story. The first week, it was fantastic. Um, I watched the message and it was a great message. The worship was fantastic and I could feel God's presence through the screen. Second week came along and uh, I was still watching, and, but probably at the end of the third song, uh, I dropped off and I just thought, you know, before the message, I'm gonna go check out, oh, I don't know, who should we go check out? Uh, Bishop Jakes' church. So let's see what Bishop Jakes is doing this morning. And so i able to quickly change uh, channels on my, on, on my online, on my computer and go over to his service. And after about 10 minutes, I was, that's great. And I wonder what Steve Furtick from Elevation Church is doing. So I went over there, it was just amazing. I got the most of the worship from church and, and I got three messages, three parts of messages. And so I kind of like a smorgasbord. It was like, wow, just can't get any better than this options. These are just incredible options. I mean, you couldn't, you know, if, if T.D. Jakes was an ice cream, I mean, it would be like the best ice cream you could buy. And so uh, I, I, third week come along and, and this time I'm like, you know, got, I was a bit late getting, you know, it's amazing how you, it can be even late to church online. You know, you blame the kids and you blame dressing, you blame your hair style and your makeup, and that's just the guys. You know, you just blame all that stuff. And when you go online, you're still late. There is no hope for you if you are still late to get online, right? Uh, and so I was late, you know, I was late. And uh, then I thought, I've heard these songs before, so I'll just go and do a couple of jobs till the preach comes along. So. Watched the preach, it was fantastic. Pastor Nick was preaching, it was a great message and fantastic. Then the fourth week came along and, and this time I'm like, I, I, I listened to two songs and then uh, uh, something happened and I had to go fix it. And it's amazing how things interrupt you when you're at home. And so uh, I went and did that and then I'm, and Pastor Nick started and I was about 10 minutes and I thought, oh yeah, I've heard, I think this is my sermon I gave to him. I've heard this before. And so I just decided to give the last 20 minutes a miss. And, and by the fifth week, the sixth week, the seventh week, by the seventh week, I'd stopped watching more than five or 10 minutes of church online. And I suddenly realised, which I already knew, and I'm like, the worst part about it was this. I actually have to go back to church. So I'm the pastor. I didn't wanna go back to church at all. After seven weeks like that, I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. Oh, but I have to go back because I'm the pastor. I mean, imagine what kind of trauma that is when you have to go and do something because you, but you don't really wanna do it. And, and I just realised at that point that really doing online church is fantastic for travel, fantastic for sickness, uh, fantastic if you can't get out of the house, but it really is like diet, drinking Diet Coke. I call it Diet Church. Because the truth is, you know, Diet Coke looks like the real thing, but if you've ever tasted the real thing, you know it's just not the real thing. It may look like the real thing, it might pour like the real thing, it might fizz like the real thing, and it may taste somewhat like the real thing with a lot of chemicals added, but it's not 
the real thing. If you're a Coke drinker, you know the real thing every single time. The Coke tastes like Coke. And I gotta tell you something, you know, Americans don't know how to make Coke. Australians, Mexicans, we just know how to make Coke. It's a fantastic thing. But I realised, so I wanted to see if I would be healthier on diet church, low fat church. Would I be healthier or would I be the same or would I be less healthy? What I discovered at the end of it was I was less healthy. The fact I didn't wanna go back tells you I'm less healthy. Uh, it tells me that my spirit wasn't on top. I wasn't you know, shouting from the rooftops. This is fantastic. And so it made me start to investigate and go a bit deeper in terms of understanding the church. Now, I'm not the guy that tells people to come to church because I'm the pastor. I'm the guy that was working happily in a bank and I love church so much I became a pastor. It was the opposite way around. It wasn't because, well, I went to Bible college now, I better tell you to come to church. No, I love church so much that I became a pastor to lead people and help people find Jesus. And so um, I started to dive. So I, I, I believed in the church. But with all of the pandemic taking place and all of COVID going on and all of the deconstructionism that's out there, you know, you know these kind of sayings that have become very, very popular pop culture sayings. You may have heard this. I reckon it started in a therapist's office. This is just my conspiracy theory. Started with a counsellor trying to counsel a hurt church member and they said to them something like this. Hey, listen, what matters is that you love Jesus. Don't worry about the church. You just love Jesus and everything will be okay. And now that's become part of mainstream pop theology, right? This idea that I can love Jesus, but you know, church is kind of take it or leave it. And I wanna talk to you over the next little while about why that is so demonically erroneous, why it's so wrong, so dangerous, and what is the answer in 2022? You see, this idea that you can love God but not love the church is an oxymoron. It defies any sound theology, any rational thinking. Uh, because to say that I love God and don't love the church means I actually don't know God because if I actually knew Jesus, I would know that Jesus actually created the church and that takes us to our next pop culture error. That is, we think the church got started when 12 lonely men got sad because their friend had left. So imagine the 12 disciples, Jesus has gone to heaven. They're lonely, they're sad, they like Jesus a lot. They used to hang out together. Sorry, I don't know if it was Peter, James or John, but one of them said, hey, we should just start meeting next week and let's have support groups. You guys share your grief and how it's all going. And, and, and of course, there's a place for all that, but I'm just giving you my interpretation of what I think we think happened. So they come and meet together. Oh, this is so, oh, so great. Jesus is not here, but it was so great to meet with you guys. They kept doing it. And after a while, we have what we have today. Wow, we went from 12 lonely men needing to support one another and now we have the church. And what most people don't realise because we don't say it enough is that the church didn't evolve from the disciples into something else. The church was created by God on purpose. Right? We have this idea, and again, our pop culture has swung the pendulum to the, to the extreme. We have an idea that you're the church and I'm the church. The truth is, 
You know, I used to say this, erroneously this to people, it was done with good intentions, but I would say, hey, Tony, you're the church. Oster, you're the church. Jane, you're the church. Anna, you're the church. The truth is, they're not the church. They are just Christians. We are the church. I am a believer. And we need to get the idea that, that I'm the church because you're not the church, you're just a Christian. But we are the church and this whole idea that snuck into our thinking that one, I can love God and not love the church. Well, why did Jesus get nails through His hands and through His feet, a spear in His side, a crown of thorns on His head, His beard plucked, Him whipped with cat nine tails 39 times till He was barely alive, till the organs in His body were visible to people, suffering a gruesome and terrible death for something that doesn't really matter. But what we've thought is in our pendulum swing is that we have thought that Jesus died for us, that we are the centre of it all and that Jesus died for us individually and that's what it's all about. And everything else is superfluous or peripheral to that idea. I've got news for us today as I share and teach to you today. And that is this, Jesus came to die for two reasons. The first reason was to redeem every person in this world from their sin and reunite them to God. But the second reason Jesus came to die was to actually create what had not been created before called the church. And I wanna talk to you about the fact that Jesus, it says in Ephesians 5, loved the church so much. The church, not you. Remember, I'm not the church, you're not the church. We're the church. And I'm not even talking about influencers church, I'm talking about the big C church, I'm talking about worldwide churches everywhere, 27 million of them across the world, that Jesus died for the church as much as He died for your redemption. He died to create the church. And I want you to get this, I'm gonna really zero in on that because we've talked a lot about your personal relationship with Jesus. Today is to talk about the Bride of Christ, the church. It's called the Bride of Christ. The church is called the Bride of Christ because all of history ends with a marriage between Jesus and the church. Who's Jesus getting married to? The church. So we can be together with Him forever. So Jesus made the church. Now you gotta remember this. I'll jump all over the place today. Give you some fruit salad in my teaching. Here's the thing, right? In the Old Testament, was there a church? No. Why is that? you may ask. Well, the reason simply is this. In the Old Testament, God spoke to Israel as a nation. They weren't a church, they were a nation. God spoke to them as a nation. They were under His special auspices of grace and favour. And so God spoke directly to them. But then when God wanted to get His grace to non-Jewish people, and we'll read this in a minute in case you just think it's my own made up thoughts. What God did was He sent Jesus, He said, listen, we've got to get grace, not only to the Jewish people, but we've got to get it to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, you and I. How will we do that? Well, I know what, I'll go down and I'll die and raise from the dead and I'll create the church and the church will become the mechanism that takes all of the favour and the grace of God and takes it from outside of the Jewish group 
and moves it towards every other group across the entire world. And I can get my grace to everybody if I can create a mechanism to get grace to them. I know what I'll do, I'll create the church. So the church was created as God's mechanism to get grace to non-Jewish people. You gotta get this because if you get this, it'll change the way you treat church. We'll talk about that a little bit more. The reason for my series is this. I know today I'm talking to the choir. All of you guys are in church. So this is not, understand, this is to equip you to help people who have not come back to church. Put up your hand if you know somebody that's not back in church that was a couple of years ago, right? We all do. To help them have reasons why they need to be in church because this pop culture has got out there. You know what? You can love God, but not love the church. Wrong answer. Right? I I love God, I love church. I put out a Facebook post that said this. Yeah, you can love God and not go to church. Those two things can coexist in the same way as you can be underwater 100 metres under the sea and still be alive. It is possible to be under the sea 100 metres and be alive for four minutes. And you can be away from a church and still love God, but you will not stay in that state. Selah. Think on such things. So, here's another reason. If Jesus were brutalised, smashed and bashed beyond recognition, murdered violently to create the church, how could we think of it as something not special? Jesus loved the church so much that He gave Himself for her because He understood what He was doing when He allowed Himself, when He could have called 10,000 upon 10,000 of angels to protect and save Him. He chose to go to the cross to die for your sin, but also to die to create the church. Therefore, the church and Jesus are inseparable. Let me read to you something that we've used in marriage seminars for as long as I can remember. Matthew, sorry, Ephesians chapter five. Now, before we get into this particular chapter, let me just say this. The book of Ephesians, you need to read the book of Ephesians two ways. Number one, you need to realise that the Christians in Ephesus, where Paul had his big revival, where Timothy was the pastor, and where John the Apostle uh, uh, was too when he was sentenced to the Isle of Patmos, that this place was a brand new uh, place for Christianity. They didn't understand the fact that they were favoured by God like the Jews, and that's why the first three chapters talks about that. You see, predestination is this idea that God chose the Jews first, but hey, by the way, He had also thought about you too and He's brought you into the mix so both the Jews and the Gentiles get access to the same things, the grace of God. Paul is trying to tell them, these non-Jewish believers that, and he's also trying to explain to them this new phenomena called the church. Remember, the church is only a few years old And he's trying to explain to them. So when you read the book of Ephesians, read through the lens of him communicating about the church and about their rights as believers. Then we get to Ephesians 5, which is the famous marriage passage of the world. What does it say? Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 
Wives, submit to your husbands, rah, rah, and there's been all debates about all those things. And every marriage course you've been to, that's the scripture most people bring out. Here's the shocking revelation that came to me when I was going into this deeper, and that is this. While there is a lot of truth about marriage in that passage, the writer, the Apostle Paul, is not giving us a doctrine of marriage. He's using marriage in the culture of the day to explain the doctrine of the church. I'll show you, it's there in black and white. It's the doctrine of the church he's trying to illustrate through marriage. And let me read to you what some of it says. In fact, let's go down to verse 31. In fact, verse 29, let's start there, verse 29. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. It's about the church. For we are members of His body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Here it is about marriage. But then what does it say? However, each, then it goes on, it says, but this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about what? Christ and the church. So the story's not about marriage per se. It's about how marriage can be used to understand the church. He's the groom. We are the, we are the bride. The church is the bride of Christ and all of history ends with a marriage uh, ceremony. That's how we know. It's not just a good idea, not a, just a good picture. It's the truth, what God is saying. And He said, it's a profound mystery. The fact that God created male and female so that when they come together as one body, production takes place and in that unity you see that oneness. He says, I'm not talking about a husband and a wife, but I'm talking about Jesus and the church. In other words, the two are inseparable. You cannot separate Jesus from the church. You can't say, I love Jesus, don't like the church. That means you don't know Jesus. A bit like saying, you love me, but don't love my wife. Guess what? At that point, you and I are not friends. Because if you don't love my wife, guess what? You don't really know me because I love my wife with all my heart. And if you insult my wife, you insult me. You speak bad about my wife, I'm coming after you. Why? Because she's the most precious thing in my life. Even more precious than my children. Why? Because the profound mystery of oneness came to us when we gave ourselves to each other. That's what the Bible talks about, being united like that. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but I tell you what, I love her with a passion. She loves me with a passion. And for you to ever say anything bad about our wife would be to say something bad about me. I know I'm getting passionate now, but I do love my wife. So if I love my wife, do you think Jesus might love his? So how can we say we love Jesus, but we hate His wife or dislike His wife or tolerate His wife? It doesn't make sense. It means you don't know Jesus. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I'm just saying you don't know Him enough to know how much He loves His wife. And if you did and you really love Jesus, then you would love what He loves. So this is the point I'm catching you. You've already got it, but I want you to help you so you understand this is really important to love because we're living in an age where the mechanism of grace is trying to be destroyed by separating. It sounds like a good idea. Oh yeah, Jesus is everything, but I hate the church. But by destroying the very bride of Christ, we destroy people's ability to experience Jesus. 
Remember the reason Jesus created the church was so the non-Gentile, non-Jewish Christian, non-Jewish people could get grace. Destroy the church. How do they get grace? Are you following those, those things that are together, right? For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, he can't really love Jesus and not love his wife. Invite me to dinner, and when I say, can Jane come and you say, no, I'm not coming to dinner either. Right? Number two, you can't say you love your wife and only go home four times a year. So imagine saying, I love Jane. Well, why aren't you going home? Well, it's just our arrangement. I love her, but I'm just gonna be away 48 weekends of the year. And I'll, but I'll see her four times. I'll go home four nights. That's enough. For some people, it's only twice a year. It's Christmas and Easter. We call them Christers, right? But I love God because I went twice to church this year. No, you didn't. Imagine how long I'd stay married if I stayed away from home 360 days of the year. No, of course, because I love her. I wanna go home as quick as possible. Though I love my donuts and my Farmer's Union iced coffee, the best diet you'll ever have. Here's the point. I wanna go home and see her. I miss her. I was on the phone to her this morning. Every chance I can, I'm talking to her. Why? Because I love her. If I wasn't going home, that marriage is not gonna work. That's same with God and the church. Guess what? If your, if your relationship with Jesus is healthy, He will tell you to love the church. He will, because He loves her so much that He died for her. It's an amazing thing to me because sometimes we think of the church as an ugly bride, but this is what I've noticed. I've done lots of weddings and I've found that no matter what, a bride always looks amazing on her wedding day. It's incredible how a bride looks so incredible on her wedding day. No matter what, they look beautiful on their wedding day. Have you ever noticed that when you go to a wedding that all the attention's on the bride? Have you noticed that they don't pay much attention at all to the groom? I'm still ticked off about that. It's all about the bride. How does she look? Oh, magnificent, look at that dress. Oh, wow, 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 how much did that cost? You know, all the goss that goes on and those kinds of things. She looks so beautiful, they look so beautiful, and the groom is given no attention at all. Is there a groom? Anyone will do, step up. <laughs> but as Christians, we've done it the other way around. We have all the attention on the groom and no attention on the bride. I've never been to a wedding yet where the bridesmaid, and this is the thing we need to understand. You see, I'm not the church, you're not the church, we are the church, but as individuals, we're also bridesmaids. Remember the five foolish bridesmaids, the five wise bridesmaids, the story about bridesmaids? They're meant to be waiting for the bride, meant to be tending the bride. So our job is to make the bride beautiful. It's our job to make the bride look spectacular. What, is a, what do bridesmaids do for the bride? If the bridesmaids look better than the bride, there's a problem. Is there not? Right, so... Uh, so the bridesmaid's job is to make sure they preen the bride, they make sure the flies are off the bride, they make sure that the veil's not creased. I've never seen a bridesmaid walk in and trop over the bride's dress, keep walking and pull it off altogether or pull the veil off. 
I've never seen a wedding, never done a wedding where the bridesmaid grabbed the flower and started beating the bride over the head. But I've seen lots of Christians doing that to the bride. Woo. I'll take a drink. See, our job is to make the bride beautiful. Our job is to make her glorious. Why? Because she is the one that tracks people to the groom. Here's what I'd say to you. Most people come to Jesus through the church, not the other way around. Most people come into a place like this, find God. They don't find God in their room. Now, God does do that sometimes. That does happen. But most people will say, I was at a Sunday school camp. I was at a youth camp. I was at a church camp. I was in church somewhere. I was at some kind of meeting and I gave my life to Christ. So guess what? The bride shows off the groom. Our job as bridesmaids is to make sure the bride looks beautiful enough that everybody wants to get to know the groom. Make sense? And so what do we say? In the old days, we used to say in the wedding days, at the end we'd say, hey, who those whom God has joined together, let no man set apart. Let me say this about Jesus and the church. Those whom God has joined together, let nobody set apart. Let no Facebook gossip, no Instagram comment, no email, no whatever in the schoolyard comment separate Jesus and the bride. God joined them together to be one. You want attack on the brides and attack on the groom. That's how that works. And I'm telling you, that's one of the reasons why I don't criticise other churches. Made it my policy since I was a young man not to criticise other pastors, nor criticise other churches. I'm sure I've slipped up, but I have made it my policy in my life. I don't criticise the Lutherans. I don't criticise even the Catholics. I don't criticise the Baptists. I don't criticise the Brethren. I don't criticise anyone that preaches Jesus. I don't criticise them. Even Paul says, whether they do it out of vain deceit or out of conceit, doesn't matter as long as they preach Jesus. That's the main thing. So guess what? I stand up for the bride wherever she is across the world. When people attack one church, I'm gonna be there to defend them. Why? Because an attack against the bride is an attack against me. It's an attack against you. And more importantly, it's an attack against Jesus who died for that bride. It doesn't mean that churches have to be revered as perfect, not at all. God's working on His church and our job as bridesmaids are to help out the bride become beautiful in all ways, but with a heart realising who she is. Jesus shed His blood so the church could exist. And until you've shed your blood for mankind, you have no right to say, I can say whatever I like about the church because I didn't give my life for the church, only Jesus did. He can judge the church and He will. Oh, I'm getting fired up now. I feel the old, the old fire coming on me now. <laughs> Let's just calm it down now. All right, here we go. Whoo, some deep breaths actually here. So that's why I don't. Now, the word church, you, let me keep going. The word church is the Greek word ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia, ecclesia. or ecclesia, whatever you want to say. I'm trying to be Greek, but I cannot. So uh, ecclesia will do for us English people that can only speak that way. Uh, ecclesia, and you know what ecclesia means? Does anyone know what ecclesia means other than the word church? It actually means gathering. You ready? Here's where it's zeroing in right now. The, church, the word ecclesia, which, and the word church is two words, ecclesia and this other word put together to make up church, but the word ecclesia means gathering. So if you gathered in a courthouse, that would be an ecclesia in Greek times, in Greek language times, that ecclesia is any gathering. 
the church is the ecclesia that gathers for Christ and for each other. And the power of the church is in the gathering, not in the status. I want you to get this. If you get this, let me just say that Paul says that what I'm teaching you is a mystery. That word mystery is the Greek word mysterion, and it's this idea that you can't figure it out just by analytics. God has to reveal it to you by the Holy Spirit so you get it. Who's ever, had, who's ever shared your faith with somebody and you shared your faith with them and you make logic, it's absolutely clear, and then you ask them and they can't see it or they choose not to see it. And remember Peter, Jesus said to Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter goes, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. That's that mysterion, that mystery that only the Holy Spirit can reveal. So when Paul talks about the church, he's saying it's one of the 28 mysteries that are talked about in the, in the New Testament. The word mystery is in there 28 times. And in the book of Ephesians, is eight times that word mystery. And it's talking about something you can't figure out. But if you lean in and say, I wanna know who this is. I wanna understand the church. I wanna know, I wanna know. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you what, he, what the church is and who it is. And when you get it, when you get it, Oh my goodness, oh the joy that fills your heart. You cannot explain to people. I was looking forward to come today to worship with you and it wasn't just nostalgia, it wasn't just I've missed you though, that's true. It was I couldn't wait to be in God's presence in church because I love Jesus and I know the church is good for me and that God created it for my benefit. The power of the church is created in the gathering and I want you to get this part. Have you ever wondered why on the, book, on the day, day of Pentecost, the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit didn't come to the homes of Peter, James and John? It says in chapter two, verse one, when they were gathered, everybody say gathered. That's only seven people. Let's say gathered. When they were gathered together in one place, in one accord, then suddenly the sound of a mighty rushing wind came and filled the place where they were sitting and the power of the Holy Spirit fell on that place. He could have done it in their homes. Why did He choose a gathering? Very simply, where you are gathered, He says, there I am in the midst of you. God can break His rules and occasionally He does, but He has a plan he didn't send Jesus to die on the cross to abort His plan. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to fulfill His plan, to create the church. And so we need to understand the gathering. I'll give you a great example, John Menelau. John Menelau and Krista are great, great people. We love them dearly. John is on our uh, church board. Now the way our structure's set up, we have, uh, because of American uh, jurisdiction and Australian jurisdiction, we have uh, two boards and a crossover of six board members across the two boards between Australia and uh, uh, the USA. And then of course now with Indonesia and then other countries, we're, gonna have to, we're looking at the structure in order to be able to cope with what God's doing and what God wants to do. And so John is a board member of the Australian board. Now John's sitting there on the second row, the place he's sat for the last 20 years, I think it might've been. And uh, only because he follows Krista and she tells him to sit there. But the point is, <laughs> Great people, love these guys. Now, John is a board member. And he, and I've, I've seen him a couple of times. I, I kind of pulled him aside one time and told him not to do it anymore, so he stopped. But he used to wear a big gold badge. One of those things, I'm a board member, and he'd walk around the foyer. No, he didn't really. I'm just teasing. But here's the thing. It wouldn't matter 
Because right now, even though John's a board member, he has no power. He has status, he's a board member. The only time John has power is when the board gathers together and the session of the board starts. When the board is in session, he has power and his word matters and it changes and moves things along. What you've got to understand is this, when Jesus gave the power not to your status, he gave the power to our gathering. He said, when you gather together, that's where the power is. That's where I'll be. Outside of the gathering, I'm a Christian and I have my own little bit of authority. Yes, that's true. But it's when we come together and the session is started that we have authority. That's why we have to love, cherish and care about the church. Almost finished, but let me say this. Can I just encourage you? And I've tried this over 40 years of ministry so I doubt if I'll be successful. But I have faith to go again. I'm like the man by the pool of Bethsaida. No one to help me get in, but I'm hoping for a miracle. 38 years in. I've kind of hyped it up too much. Here's the point. If we loved the church the way Jesus loved the church, i tell you how it would change our behaviour. We would be at church on time and we wouldn't be late. Here's why we're not late to work, so we get fired. But Jesus died or was brutalised and we think that the real action happens when the preacher gets up. And if we think that, then we think it's a learning environment. We don't realise the power of the gathering. Church, I want to say to you, Steve, and that's why I said I haven't got much hope because I've tried in 30 years different ways to get people to be on time. So I have low expectations. But if I could just get one of you, two of you, please, to be at church on time, ready to go at 11 o'clock, all guns blazing. Imagine if we were like this at 11 o'clock, at 10.50. You know what my boss used to say? If you're, if you're on time, you're five minutes late, you know? Get here. You know your kids are always gonna muck up. So get ready, go out an hour earlier. So you know it's gonna happen. You know, you don't know one of them's gonna need the toilet on the way out. It always happens. Do I get a witness anywhere? Yeah. I'm just trying to talk like a granddad. I've got five grandchildren now. Woo! Man, time's marching on. But I'm looking pretty good with my donut diet. Looking all right. But if I could say to you, listen, if you love the church and you hear what I'm saying, let's, let's be on time for church. I know some people are driving slow in front of you. Just drive around them, whatever you have to do. Just, you know, just get to church on time. Leave a little bit earlier. Because it matters, right? What I used to find when I used to take Benjamin to school, in America, if we were late, he got detention. He got into trouble for me being late. Maybe that's what we should, that's what we're gonna pass the Tony. I think that's what we're gonna do. No, you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is there are consequences in every other environment and nobody died for it. Jesus died for this. Let's give it the respect it deserves. And I'll tell you what will happen. It will feed us help us, 
do something for us that we never ever thought. Last thought, last thought. Here's one of the biggest reasons why God created the church. You ready? The Jews God spoke to directly and God's grace came to the Jews as a nation. I showed you this before. In the New Testament, God creates the church through Jesus. The day Jesus rose from the dead, the church was born. It was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost, but it started the day He rose from the dead. It happened on the first day of the week, right? And so the church was born and birthed and began. And here's why God did it. God did it so that non-Jewish people could get His grace. Here's the example I use. I love Amazon. There's one thing I love about America the most above everything else, it's Amazon. Other than the call of God, you know, get past the spiritual stuff, get to the carnal stuff. I love Amazon. Now, we have Amazon in Australia, but it's nothing like Amazon in America. It will be one day, but you can order it today and get it that night. Here, you might three months or whatever it is. Uh, and you only have maybe, you know, a couple of million of op options. In America, it's like trillions. You go online, you go, really? They make one of those? Really? They make one of those? What, 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 what? And you can have Christmas every single day. It's like parcels are being delivered to your door. It's like, wow, another present. You literally can have Christmas 365 days of the year. Right now, there's been 12 of us living in one house, five grandkids, five adult kids, and Pastor Jane and I, and we just can't wait to get rid of them all. But the point is... No, it's been a wonderful time. Now I'm talking like a grandmother. Oh, it's a wonderful time. But, uh, and because I get mad, those presents are all for Lauren. Lauren's getting kids, stuff for the kids and whatever. And, but you get these presents. Now it's beautiful, the interface is fantastic. What's the point? There's a secret, 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 secret weapon that Amazon have that make what they offer possible. And I'm gonna show you on the screen. It's this blue van. These vans by the tens of thousands drive around neighbourhoods taking the parcels that people have ordered online and dropping them at their front door, right? And these little prime vans, they're electric, you know, good for the environment, all those kind of things. And they drop off all these gifts all over, the, all over America, everywhere. There are tens of thousands of these vans. And here's the point. As good as Amazon is and as good as all the manufacturers are and all the sellers are, as good as all that is, the humble van is the secret and the connector between what is up there in the cloud and what I get at my front door. The connector is the van, the delivery service of Amazon. I wanna tell you something. Without the church, people can wish for a better life can hope for something new, can want their life to be different. But the connector between the grace of God and the people on the ground who need something is the van called the church. The church is the delivery van that brings God's grace to neighbourhoods and to homes and to suburbs and to cities and to nations. And come on, everybody, let's thank Jesus for that. It's amazing. Let me read this and then we're gonna finish. Ephesians 3, 6, and this is God's plan. Both Jews and Gentiles who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited, equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus. 
By God's grace and mighty power, I, Paul, have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the non-Jewish people about the endless treasures of Amazon. I mean, of God. The endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious, that's Mysterian, this, this plan that only God can reveal to you. The Creator of all things had kept secret. God had kept the church secret from the beginning. Listen, it goes on. God's purpose in all of this, in other words, keeping it secret, was to use the church. Everybody say the church. The church to display whose wisdom? Not Ashley Evans' wisdom, not Tony Corbridge's wisdom, but God's wisdom to the ruler, to the, to, sorry, and in its variety, to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was His eternal plan, which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, God had a secret plan. The church is not the rescue plan, the backup plan, or the thought after plan. It was the first plan. This is how I'm gonna talk to the Israelites as a nation. But I'm gonna create the church through Jesus' suffering and death on the cross to create the church. For as the people gather in my name, there I am. And I'm gonna send them out into the highways, into the byways, into the streets of Adelaide, into the places in America and Indonesia and all over the world, 27 million locations across the world. And I'm gonna send these vans out to tell everybody I love you, to tell everybody I'm for you, to tell everybody I can heal you, to tell everybody I can provide for you, to tell everybody that God's not mad at you, to tell everybody that the church is for you. Can you see the reason for the church? It's not just Something for my good pleasure. Can I just be a little bit crass for a second? Sometimes people use the church like a prostitute to satisfy their own needs. I'll use it up and spit it out and go on. How about if we realise this is the bride of Jesus? This is the church, the pillar and foundation of the truth, the only hope for the world, the only way a Gentile person can hear about the love of God is through the church. So our job is to esteem her, hold her in higher, high regard. Church is not perfect. That's because you're here. And it's because I'm here. It makes it even more imperfect. But we could get over ourselves and love the bride. Realise that all of history is going to end between a wedding ceremony between Jesus and His bride, the church, where we'll be with Him forever. And my job as a bridesmaid is to make sure the bride is front and centre. Even the Good Samaritan could not help the man get healed. It took an in, I secretly name it influences, he took the hurt man after he bandaged him. He gave him first aid. The best you and I can do on the road is first aid. We bring the person to the inn. Would you look after him, heal him, get him restored? The man was healed in a house of healing. The church is the house of healing. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. 
You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past, and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did, and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace and the word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey. Why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you. And we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.